Hey besties, welcome back to another episode of Sunshine and Rainbows podcast, a space where we chat about moments when life isn't. I'm your host, Amanda, and I am so passionate about peeling back that veil our society has constructed around perfectionism online. When starting my own personal platform on Instagram, I realized that I was getting caught in the inauthentic hustle, and it was severely affecting my mental health, mostly because I was comparing my behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel. Throughout my life, I've come to own that my setbacks were actually just set ups for something better. I found a way to step into my true potential, and the goal is to amplify other voices who have done the same so that someone out there feels seen and that much less alone. I cannot wait to get into this important conversation with our next guest. So let's get started. Well, (laughs) hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sunshine and Rainbows podcast. I'm your host, Amanda, and today things are going to be a little bit different. So today's my birthday. Wow. I turn 29 today. And when thinking about what I was going to do for this episode, I was between listing 21 or 29. I wish I was turning 21. 29 things that I had learned this year, doing a year recap of everything that I accomplished. And the way I operate is I like to get things out on a page. So when I was doing my solo episodes at the beginning of this whole podcast adventure, I would write down my thoughts and they were so good that I ended up just reading them. So I'm not going to say I wrote a script, but I definitely wrote down what I was thinking. Again, I'm a very visual person, so seeing words on a page really makes my feelings real for me. And I decided to go back to my roots. So I started journaling, and then journaling turned into writing. And before I knew it, I had pages and pages of feelings. And they turned out to be so powerful that even though it was my private journal entry, I think it needs to be heard. So again, things are going to be a little bit different. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'm reading my journal entry. If you're listening here on whatever podcast platform, you're not going to know a difference. So I'm kind of nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of nervous. I have written fiction before my children's book, but I've never actually written and published something that is this personal. And even though my job right now is quite literally to share my life on the internet, I haven't shared this part of me before. And I really, really got deep. So without I guess, further ado, (laughs) here we go. I'm sitting here trying to type out my first journal entry turned blog post days before my 29th birthday, and I'm coming up blank. For someone whose job it is to share online, why does it feel a little too personal to write about myself here? Existential crisis aside, I, I guess we'll jump right to the start. Hi, I'm Amanda. I can be described as a 28 year old woman who has blue eyes dirty blonde hair, and is taller than average. 
I'm a Capricorn, Enneagram 3-4, and proud Slytherin. I was born in Texas, spent a third of my life in Missouri, and now reside in the sunshine state of Florida. If you knew me in high school, I'm sorry. (laughs) I was your stereotypical cheerleader who was a diehard Swifty and Joe Bros fan. I had a life-size cardboard cutout of Jacob from Twilight in my bedroom and honestly can't tell you a thing about me that was unique during this time. And that was on purpose. My whole life, I've been teased, then bullied, for being different. Sometimes it was that I was too tall for a girl, whatever that means, Um, too smart, too blonde, too churchy, too much of a teacher's pet, and too nice. It got to the point that I found it easier to blend in and be one of the status quo than make any waves. I learned to stifle my sparkle and became ashamed of what made me, me. This is the first time I can remember feeling like something was wrong. Sure, I'd experienced sadness before, but this was different. I was consumed. I was encompassed. I felt like I was being swallowed, was drowning, and didn't know how to tell anyone. I was ashamed because I thought it was something wrong with me, that I wasn't strong enough or emotionally mature enough to handle my teenage years. I stuffed those feelings deep, deep down and threw myself into activities that made my sparkle come out in safe places that celebrated me. Performing, singing and dancing, that's where I found my first community of people that accepted me encouraged me, and related to what I was feeling. I also learned that I wasn't alone in my feelings of deep depression. Most artists are consumed by it too. But some have found a way to use it to their advantage. It was here that I also saw various ways people could cope with the sadness they couldn't contain. I quickly learned that there were many vices people used to drown out their feelings of pain, shame, and emotional turmoil especially how destructive it could be when the proper outlets and help weren't available. I knew that I didn't want that for my life, but sometimes the depression I felt was deeper than my want to power through. I limped my way internally through high school, a tumultuous relationship, a crushing dance injury, and moving states with my family to escape it all. My last year in Missouri, I made a mess of things. I ruined friendships, relationships, and any sense of decency I had left because I was drowning. I felt like I was screaming, but no one could hear me. It's not actually anyone's fault outright. You see, 10 years ago was a very different time for mental health. I wholeheartedly know now that all the signs were there of my severe depression and anxiety, but those are adult issues and ones that hadn't been common in teens at that point in time. Even I couldn't differentiate between my spiraling mental health, hormones, or just a phase that I was in. When we moved to Florida, I felt like it was my chance for a fresh start. I had literally just run away from all of my problems and triggers in Missouri, so I could create this new version of Amanda. I quite literally changed the way people referred to me. I used to go by Mandy with an I my entire life up until I moved to Florida, And even now when a family member or friend slips up, I get a twinge of that old me. I moved out, started two jobs to pay for rent, and applied to any college to begin my chance at an important and worthy life. 
I wanted to make everyone proud of me and regain their love for me that I had ruined because of the shitstorm I caused in Missouri. I got into an advanced collegiate program, joined the Honors College, and knew that in the fall of 2012, I could finally start my life for real. Well, college was just another version of high school because I began repeating old patterns. Sure, there was more flair. I traded cheerleading and dance for sorority events, bullies for eating disorders, and shame for anger. The spiral was constant, but sneakier this time. You see, Tumblr depression culture was in. No one noticed when you spent all night in the library drinking five iced coffees to power through your thoughts of taking an endless nap, because you were just such a great student who cared about their grades. College was rough. And even though I met my now husband during that tornado, he could see the signs and patterns of instability I'd been creating. Everything was personal. Everything felt life or death. Everything was at a 100 out of 10. I was passionate. I was extroverted. I was bold. But I was also so alone in my thoughts. I truly think the only thing that saved me was the structure. I thrived on routine and kept mine seamless in high school and in college. Go to school, do your homework, go to practice, call boyfriend, study, go to work, rinse, repeat. After graduating, I traded the structure of school for the structure of fighting my way into the animal training field. I studied, I clawed into any volunteer or part-time position I could, and finally achieved my dream of being a dolphin trainer. I'd made it. This was what all those years in pain were for, to get me here. I rationalized in my brain that every late night, missed holiday, and sacrifice was worth it. I was here, and I would never feel sad again, because I'd accomplished something few people do. While it wasn't my ultimate dream job, it was enough that I felt special. I could walk into a room and know without a doubt that I was the person with the coolest occupation. And that was a drug that gave me such a high. You see, to my core, I want to feel special, needed, and important. Is it because I was stifled at such a young age by teasing and bullies? Or just a narcissistic personality trait? Regardless, it's me. I liked being shiny. I liked when the glitter and sparkles surrounded me. It's where I thrived and felt most myself. The spotlight is what I always wanted. When I was the center of attention, I didn't have time to focus on the darkness inside. So I stuffed it far down and wouldn't let it have the oxygen it needed to grow. That was my plan. Stuff, stuff, and stuff some more so eventually it'll just go away. Yeah, that didn't work out. I jumped to a few more animal jobs before finally reaching what I thought was the top. On one October morning, I got the call I'd been dreaming of my entire life. I had gotten the position of killer whale trainer, and my life was about to change. I reveled in every moment someone came up to me after hearing the news around work. I replied humbly, but on the inside, I was screaming with pride. I started my new position and felt incredible. I was Amanda, the killer whale trainer. I wore the coveted wetsuit. I spoke on microphone in front of thousands of people daily. I had little kids requesting photos with me. It was the biggest ego fluff I'd ever experienced, and I was loving every single minute. And that's where the beginning of our story actually starts. You see, it was at my highest 
that I truly felt my lowest. Imposter syndrome reared its ugly head. My eating disorders and body dysmorphia were in full motion. I was seemingly thriving, but internally I was barely surviving. Six months into my new position, I got a phone call I could never have anticipated. A company-wide layoff, and my name was on the list. While any rational person could look at the situation and see that it was a business decision for a struggling company, I took it personal. I took it way too personally because it shattered my entire existence, purpose, and identity that I had constructed. You see, this image I'd created was becoming an alter ego. And when it got ripped away from me without warning, all that remained was the real me. She was broken. She was depressed. She was anxious. She was drowning. And she didn't know how much longer she could keep her head afloat. So... Instead of facing those issues head on and getting to the source, I ran again. Running was easier than stopping. Pivoting is how I coined it. Because after all, the image I had created was technically a publicity stunt. I had been an expert marketer and didn't even realize it. I needed to be head of the questions. So I found a job that no one I knew in the animal field worked and charged headfirst into a new vision. I was now... Amanda, killer whale trainer turned elephant keeper, the girl who took a curveball and made it into a grand slam. I was writing my memoir in my head of how bold and strong and courageous I was for finding the beauty in my awful situation. I truly loved working with those new animals. It showed me how close-minded I had been on what it meant to be a trainer and how everyone had their own valid dreams that were just as special as mine. I felt seen again, and finally like I had a voice within a company that listened. I learned how to lead a team and even got opportunities to shape the next generation. I was on a TV show, made amazing connections with the marketing team, and even had plans to move up within the company. Until 2020 and all of its madness hit. I'll keep this portion brief because it's yet again a pattern that I repeated without learning from. I was furloughed, I felt crushed, unimportant, and unworthy. All my feelings of severe depression, crippling anxiety, and taking it extremely personal all came flooding back. I finally came back to work after things slowed down, but it felt different. I was full of anger and I couldn't find the root of it or shake it. I had this enormous chip on my shoulder that was beginning to infect every aspect of my life. I became the most negative person I knew. I was the source of toxicity in my life, and I couldn't find a way to stop. I complained, I gossiped, and I created drama at any chance just to feel something, feel anything again. I didn't know who I was and couldn't recognize myself in the mirror. My face was in a constant frown, and it it took far too much effort to pretend to be happy I just quit altogether. An opportunity to leave that job for a completely different career arose. And naturally, I jumped. Can you see the patterns? Can you see that I desired structure, but on my terms and in my own specified dimensions? Is it making sense that I ran from each new problem and they were all compounding and getting to the point that I couldn't keep them all at bay much longer? Because, wow, (laughs) it's crystal clear to me now. I created this identity crisis in my head of leaving the animal field to help myself cope. 
because in all honesty, I don't think I ever knew who I was. I don't think I wanted to know who I truly was because every time I was alone with my thoughts, I didn't like who that Amanda was. 2021 came with new, improved version of Amanda. She was brave for leaving her dream job in search of a new one. She was brave for calling out toxic patterns. She was inspiring for forging ahead despite life's unfair curveballs. She was special, unique, and different all over again. To be honest, I really believed that. And parts of it are true, but parts of it were an image I'd curated just like a perfect aesthetic Instagram feed. Eventually, I started trying to figure out who Amanda was, what she liked, and why she was here. I began rediscovering old passions and hobbies. I found my voice in advocating for mental health awareness and loved creating a podcast that helped break mindsets. I had the incredible opportunity to begin authoring an inclusive children's book based on my animal career and was able to tie in some very important messages. Life was great until the summer. The high of being an entrepreneur and trailblazer had begun to wear off and my structure was fading. I was feeling my longest friend, depression, creep back in. This time at a ferocity I had never encountered. Before, I could cope via a dance party, binging my favorite TV show, or grabbing an iced coffee and screaming punk rock music. Hey, we all find serotonin differently, okay. But this time, none of that was working. I asked my primary care physician for help. The anxiety and depression meds that I had been on for years now were not helping. I begged for every test she could think of, and I did my own Googling as well. I honestly had convinced myself that it was all a thyroid issue, a faulty IUD, or an awful coincidence that all these symptoms were piling up at an unnerving rate. I was searching for answers, but every test just kept coming back negative. All my blood work was clear. You're just depressed and overweight, Amanda. You work from home now and in the middle of a pandemic. Literally everyone is in the same boat as you. That was the last thing my doctor said to me before I stormed out in tears. I felt like no one was listening to me. I could feel myself fading. My whole life was swirling around me and I had no control. I was exhausted by just existing. It took every ounce of effort I had to continue working, which left nothing when it was time to be a friend, a sister, a daughter, or a wife. I can distinctly remember the first time I thought, everyone can't feel the way I do all the time. How are people still alive? I made a choice. I wanted to stick around. Despite my brain telling me that I didn't matter, that I wasn't worth the oxygen, and that people would be just fine without me, I chose to fight. I called my primary care and asked for a referral to a psychiatrist. Everything I'd learned in college was pointing to some undiagnosed mental health disorder, and it was time to get a professional opinion and hopefully on the correct medication. Even at my lowest, I knew that upping my depression meds like my doctor was should have made me feel better, not worse. A week before my psychiatrist appointment, I took the online questionnaire that I knew would help them diagnose me. I answered questions ranging from family history, 
thoughts, mentality, and even some experiences I'd been through. I remember being terrified of answering too honestly because I didn't want to get sent away to a facility for being that mentally ill. But I also knew that I needed to be honest enough so that I got diagnosed correctly. I needed help and I was finally low enough to scream for it out loud. I walked into the office and sat down, anticipating a long list of what made me unhealthy because I had clearly made everything up in my head just for attention, right? I held my breath, clasped my hands together, and walked in and sat down. My psychiatrist walked in, took a big drink of water, and asked, Hey, how you doing? Um, not good. I'm drowning. I'm exhausted. And someone help me. I screamed internally. But of course, I answered with, I'm fine. She looked at me with a look that instantly called me on all of my BS right then and there. We began talking about my symptoms and answers to the questionnaire I took a week earlier. She told me that in the depression category, I scored a 30 out of 30. Sweet, 100%, I thought. But then she went on to explain it meant that I was severely and undoubtedly depressed. She diagnosed me with major depressive disorder. I was relieved, honestly. While I always knew I had depression, I thought it was just a product of my experiences or my environment. Not that my brain was literally chemically imbalanced. That made it so much easier for me to rationalize and accept. Next, she shared my score for the anxiety section. 29 out of 30. Honey, she said, you've got pretty severe anxiety with no direct correlation. Basically, I was a textbook case of generalized anxiety disorder. This made sense to me. I knew that the way my brain overanalyzed, reanalyzed, and functioned overall could not be how anyone else existed. It was clear that certain pressures sent me into anxiety attacks while having zero effect on others. It was another sigh of relief for me, and I honestly thought we were done. Nothing I didn't know already and couldn't handle. Well, we weren't done. She went on to ask about the vivid and severe nightmares I answered about, situations that brought them on, and her concern for my clear lack of sleep. It turns out that not everyone wakes up screaming in the middle of the night. Not everyone sweats in their sleep while kicking and screaming. Not everyone became an insomniac because they were afraid of sleeping. And that not just someone who had big T traumas, she titled it, could have post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD? Me? I mean, sure, I could think of some little T traumas in my life, and maybe one or two big T's, but nothing like being a war veteran or surviving an awful attack. She explained that my brain was under stress for so many years and had begun blending the lines of danger and reality to the point that it could not tell the difference anymore. My constant anxiety, coupled with life experiences and a high-stress career, were the perfect recipe for something called compassion fatigue which created proxy symptoms of PTSD. I could combat them while awake and convince my brain that my thoughts weren't reality. But when I would sleep, my fear receptors took over. Cool. I guess I can swallow that. I can rationalize it. I mean, if I'm honest, it makes sense when I look back at my life and even think of seeing so much death and sickness within my short-lived animal career. 
But when I looked at her and made the comment, so where do we go from here? She just chuckled. Amanda, she replied. Sweetie, we've only just begun. You see, those are all byproducts of what's actually going on underneath all the coping that you've managed to do for so many years. I sat there holding my breath. She already had seen me more deeper than anyone I knew, and she just met me and read my answers on a page. Crap. I made eye contact, let out my breath, and asked her what she meant. The next part was all a blur, but something I think I'd always suspected deep down. You see, it runs in my family's genetics. I studied it in college and can remember sitting in the lecture hall thinking, I do that. I feel that. Am I that? Media has depicted it. Artists sing about it. And someone in my family died from it. Bipolar. Turns out it's been hiding all along. Turns out it's been dropping hints all along. Turns out a lot of how I've been feeling made perfect sense and was literally a textbook bipolar 2 case. Turns out this was the first time I was overwhelmingly grateful that I wasn't special. That I was textbook. Because it finally meant I had answers. Turns out the reason I was spiraling out of control while upping my depression meds is because they were the wrong meds. Turns out all my symptoms were pointing to this. I just needed the right person to decode it. I sat there, stunned, shocked, reeling. I slowly started replaying clips from my life where I could see that maybe it wasn't just a personality trait, but a mental disorder. Maybe that's why I could go until I crashed farther than the average person. Maybe that's why I got these incredible bursts of creativity, energy, detailed organization, and extrovertedness. And maybe that's why when those moments faded, I could barely pull myself out of bed. Maybe that's why the majority of my teenage and 20s felt like the scene in Twilight where Bella sits in her chair and the seasons keep changing around her, but she can't move. Maybe bipolar 2 was actually why. Naturally, I cried. Feelings come out my eyeballs, regardless if they're happy, sad, or angry. I called Kev. I called my sister. I called my best friend. And then I called my therapist and immediately went into process with her. So here's the actual point of this story. She didn't believe me. She wanted a different opinion. She said there was no way. She specialized in mood disorders and would have seen the signs in me. But that's the funny thing and why I've decided to share this novel of a story. People only know what you tell them. I'm going to say that again. People only know what you tell them. People only know what you show them. Your therapist can't read your mind. Your primary physician can't read your mind. Regardless, if you're screaming inside like I was, people only hear what you tell them. I'm telling you this because I got scolded by everyone in my life that I called above. Kevin knew the majority of my feelings because he sees me so deeply like no one else can, but he still didn't know everything. My sister knew I was struggling, but I didn't want to burden her with my problems because she was fighting demons of her own. 
My best friend was in the dark because talking about my problems seemed so selfish compared to what the world was navigating. My therapist was only told the things that I had already processed, so when she gave me homework or challenged me, I was one step ahead and never felt truly vulnerable. Because again, I needed full control. It's been four months since I walked around the mall alone, because if I was in public, then I wouldn't burst into tears for no reason. Yeah, that's how unregulated my emotions had become. I was a tsunami of moods that changed quicker than my fashion sense, to the point that Kev didn't know what version of me he'd get. It's been four months since my last suicidal thought. It's been four months since I had to consciously pull myself out of bed. It's been four months since I faked a smile or lied about being fine. Now, I'm on a cocktail of meds that actually serve me and my needs. I sleep amazing. My depressive episodes are less life-altering, and my manic episodes feel regulated. You see, I love my medication. For the first time, I actually feel like I'm the one living my own life. I feel like an active participant instead of convincing everyone around me that I'm living. I own my emotions. I own the roller coaster and waves that come. Because they're what make me so special. Sure, it took time to process, grieve, and unlearn the societal norms around mental illness. I had tackled depression and anxiety, but PTSD and bipolar were new beasts that came with pretty awful stereotypes. I realized that my disorder did not define me, but if anything, it gave me a new purpose and reason to keep advocating. Again, I'm writing this days before my 29th birthday, and I just wrote down what I think is going to be the premise of my memoir someday. My favorite thing that was said to me, mid-sob, was, Amanda, this isn't the end. This is just another powerful chapter in your story that will change someone's life someday. Side note, if you don't have a Kev in your life, I really suggest you find one. Because, wow. So, I'm sharing this because I finally processed... I finally accepted, and I finally fully own who I am. I'm sharing because in the midst of this crisis, I had never felt more alone, even though I was surrounded by so many supportive loved ones. I'm sharing this because I learned some valuable lessons about letting people in and allowing others to help. I'm sharing this because I never want anyone to feel the way I did. So there you go. That is a journal entry turned post that I put on my blog, on my website, made into a podcast episode, and now a YouTube video. I don't know. After writing it, it just felt like it was something that I needed when I was going through what I was going through years ago, months ago, moments ago. So I put this out there to the universe, not to bring attention to me, not to capitalize on a new disorder, but to just be honest. I pride myself on being honest online, but I wasn't honest to the people in my life. 
I wasn't honest to myself. And this has been the most cathartic thing I think I've done my entire life. I really dug deep and looked into my past and faced it head on. So it's my 29th birthday and Year 26 broke me. Year 27 challenged me. And year 28 showed me why. So, here's to year 29. And I'm on the roll.